In this episode of Retroactive, wait, his name is X? Thought it was Mega Man. It's all about establishing a rapport and getting to know your audience and really starting to connect with them that makes a podcast successful. I know because I've gone through a series of podcasts that were both successful and unsuccessful. And what I'd like to say is that straight off, Retroactive has had um, a good, strong start, but the listenership isn't quite where we need it to be which is fine. That's no one's fault, but probably mine. (laughs) Um, But I would be remiss if I didn't try to do what I can to make you and other people come here more often. And so the... Today's monologue is dedicated straight to the changes that are happening, or rather the announcements I'm making on the Retroactive podcast. So first and foremost, it's the fact that this show is going weekly. That's right, friends. Starting today, June 7th, every episode that comes out will be one week after the next on Mondays, just like we get with any other podcast. A form of consistency is important. It keeps you uh, able to listen, and many of you are very eager to listen to a weekly show. And it also keeps a consistency that you can keep coming back for. If I just go, it'll come out when it comes out, which is fine, but then I have no one to blame but myself for the fact that people miss the new episodes coming or people just stop paying attention. So at the risk of anything else, this has to be a weekly show. But as such, it can't have, I guess I would say, the probably two large aspirations for a person who's already doing a podcast, who plays a lot of games, and who has a very loaded full-time schedule um, to do. And so uh, I have to say, because we're going weekly, the fact the, the chances of having a guest on every show is straight up impossible. But more importantly... It's going to necessitate solo episodes because there were a lot of topics I want to do. And people were like, yo, I respect you for doing it, Fred, but I just have no interest in insert game here or insert franchise here or insert topics here. Sometimes I would give certain people, and you know who you are because you're probably listening to this now, uh, I would give people lists of games that I wanted to cover. And they were like, I don't want to do any of those. (laughs) And so respectfully, I'm going to have to go on these journeys myself. And why do I want to go on these journeys? Well, it's because what Retroactive really is and what I will definitively sit down and say it is now is me exploring games that came out in my youth or in the past that I never got to work with I never got to play I never got to enjoy and I don't hear anyone covering so they're kind of lost to um, this weird spot in the retro world where uh, like almost no one talks about it and the people who do just like adore that game and trust me no matter what game you can pick out of the retro community there is a handful of people who adore it and will fight vehemently every time they're mentioned on like twitter or facebook or any other social media and so 
Yeah, to cut through all that, I was like, let me just start exploring these games. I'm going to explore them in the blind. I'm going to explain the context behind why I'm exploring them and kind of my perspectives. And heck, sometimes I'm not going to like them, right? That's something that I've always been scared of, but now I'm just going to power through. I will not play a game that I don't like to completion, nor with retro games should I expect to complete anything I play. I've been lucky so far, but that will not continue. And so as a result, this game is my, uh, this this podcast is quickly becoming my, you know, cane from Kung Fu, my exploration through retro video games I've always wanted to play or have shown interest in, and that interest will change week to week. Um, and actually, in, you know, dig into them. And some games I'll love and some games I'll hate and most games will be right in between, but I will talk about them and I will give good, strong context of like what people thought back then, what the games were like back then, what people think now. And of course, and this is what I'm hoping for the most, more than co-hosts, is you out there to write in when I'm talking about a game you love. So stay tuned at the very end of the episode when I announce next week's game um, for you to write in because until the following Saturday, so all game or all episodes come out on Monday, you have till that following Saturday. And I will not remind you or anything like that. This is your notice. I might mention it from time to time, but uh, send in, you know, your your communications about games that we're going to talk about. Tell me what you liked, what you didn't like, the good, the bad, the ugly, what you think I'm going to say so that I can address it on the show, because I'm not going to go back and dig into a game after I've already done a show about it. Um But with that, yeah, the show has gone weekly. It will be about a lot of interesting topics, but I am hoping to do like once a month, kind of like a game club, hoping to do like a big game with a crossover and co-hosts because Lord knows I've got plenty of people willing to be co-hosts. It's just trying to find that diamond in the rough, that perfect game. The other thing is I want to go explore some very weird territory, like an American playing a bunch of microcomputer games and trying not to just go meh, because I'm not going to do that because that doesn't help anybody. That said, I'm going to go into some dangerous territory because I'm going to be playing some games some people adore with their lifeblood, and I probably won't say the nicest things about all of them all the time. So... Stay tuned for all of that fun stuff. Um, But yes, this show is now going weekly, so you have a reason to check in every week. Um, And as such, uh, we're cutting down on these segments. So it's basically going to be a monologue segment into the main game or topic. And then I will wrap up with, I'm hybriding hardware and those discussions I used to do at the end into like just a technical showpiece that will wrap up every episode. So there you have it. That's the plans moving forward. And just one more thing I definitely need to mention before we, uh, you know, wrap this whole thing up is uh, there is a certain genre of games that's talked to, it's really weird because it's a niche genre, but it's talked about far too much, uh, in my opinion, which is RPGs. Classic RPGs, which is probably because they're the most dynamic video games of retro culture, are overcovered. Look at every single uh other than maybe hardcore gaming 101 like if you look at almost every other retro uh wor- you know uh, i don't know podcast or community they're just gushing over the rpgs like uh, most retro podcasts have covered every single final fantasy i think gh 101 we even did it so like and and 
And so those have been done to death. So, and, and, and if I'm being frank with you, I don't really like JRPGs. There are very few I've enjoyed. The East franchise is the most, and it's like a, a bad redheaded stepchild of the RPG community. And so with all that in mind, just keep, just keep note that like, I'm probably not going to cover real popular stuff because I either played it or I don't have interest in it because it's like an RPG. Um, that's not to say I will never touch an RPG. I will tell you right off the bat, I intend to keep covering the East franchise. I definitely want to dig into Final Fantasy X2 of all games. And I definitely have plans to play Super Mario RPG. I've heard very good things about it. Um, I also really enjoyed Fantasy Star. I just am not, after the first one, I'm not quite sure where I want to go with it. And I might even do a Fantasy Star episode because... You know, we, we've not done one, and I, I played that game extensively over the last summer. So, anyway, with that, uh, I will kick this off. But just know that, yeah, the games I'm picking are, like, intriguing niche titles that I... Well, I wouldn't even say niche. Intriguing titles that are probably not RPGs that I probably would have picked back in the day. And so, yeah, there's going to be a lot of stuff you may roll your eyes at, such as, oh, I'll be doing LJN licensed games on the NES. You just wait. And so this is hopefully supposed uh, going to be a fun world of exploration, um, a fun world of nostalgia, and a fun world of discovery. And so please embark on this journey now weekly with me as we go into uh, basically what is the staple, the getting its feet, the, the um, foundation of Retroactive. And with that, I'll turn it over to myself and, of course, Chase talking about Mega Man X. All right, and welcome back. Here we are on uh, Retroactive's uh, analysis of Mega Man X for the Super NES. Uh, I am one of your hosts. My name is Fred Rojas, and joining me tonight is Chase. Learn from gaming. How are you, Chase? Hey, I am doing really well. How are you? Good. So we're back with a SNES game, although I, I it may just be weird because I don't consider East 3 to be a SNES game, but here we are back to a 16-bit SNES game um, for your second appearance. So uh, thank you for uh, joining me. Um, but uh, this is going to be interesting because Mega Man X is what I would consider probably many people consider, and Nintendo obviously does because it was in the NES Classic Edition, to be one of the quintessential SNES games. And despite not having one growing up, I have never gotten around to playing this game until now. Yeah, that's uh, that is wild to me, but I'm also so happy that you've played it now. <laughs> yeah, and I should point out, I am a Mega Man fan, so I've played Mega Man one through six. Never played seven. I think seven's on the SNES. Seven um, is on the SNES, yes, and then eight's on the PlayStation. Right, right, and I knew eight was on PlayStation and Saturn. I believe it or not, have the Saturn version, but uh, I hear it's a six of one, half a dozen of another. Um, but uh, but yeah, somehow I've never played the X series, and then I always wanted to. My intentions are clear when you look at my PlayStation Two collection because I have the Mega Man X collection that has X one through X six. Um, 
but never played them until now. So, um, yeah, yeah. And this is, this is interesting because it, it is very, you know, when you look at development notes, which are somewhat like, um, how do I say this? Somewhat biased. Like KG and Afune is usually the person who is interviewed the most about this series. And, um, he's actually kind of a, uh, you know, not the lead designer on this game. No, not not in this one. He was just an artist, right? I right. Mean, not, well, not, he's not in it, artist. but but yeah, yeah, he he didn't do the main yeah scenarios and designs of the levels and whatnot. He was kind of backseat. So, um, but uh, but he tells it as you know they wanted to keep the original roots of the series together, but they also wanted to. Um, expand it and do something new. And I do think they very much do that with Mega Man X. Uh, it I, does not feel like a Mega Man game. There are so... What, okay, so what's really interesting about this game is it's their first 16-bit, um, at least on the, the SNES. So it is, like, it's their first entry point. And there are so many just iterative progression so like when you think about the other Mega Man games that came before like each one builds off the one that came before it um and i would argue that like this is just some of those steps that you would expect to see or that that i was just so happy to see because you played it recently i played it the same year well actually not the same year that it came out but uh it was actually really hard to find in stores initially especially in uh, canada maybe not so much the states but like it was hard to find this game um, I do think it was um, harder to find than people think because I was actually reading old video game magazines. <laughs> I read the EGM. The These were all... So real quick, just to sum it up, it came out December 17th, 1993 in Japan, but it comes out January 1994 in North America. And then it does come out May 94 in Europe. Um, but uh, all of the... January 94 issues of Nintendo Power, EGM, GamePro, GameFan, they all have it in there. And um, there are some discussions in letter sections, like already prepared, where people don't know when or where it's going to come out and how to find it, right? Like the Toys R Us is already warning people, you know, we know we're going to have an issue. And um, for context... You know, it's it's not too much longer after this that the N64 comes out in uh, September 96. And uh, that was really one of the first pre-order area eras um, for hardware. Like the PlayStation and Saturn didn't really have much pre-order. It was possible, but it wasn't very popular. Um, whereas the N64, if you didn't pre-order, you just like didn't get it that holiday season. Yep. Like, uh, and I actually recall your, we're not going to go down that rabbit hole, sure. but I love your N64 story. Uh, yeah. Just the, how you got uh, and like playing it because you had to wait. Um, yep. It's yeah, persistence, the video game. Hole, it's persistence, the real world game. <laughs> yeah. yeah but uh, um yeah. okay so i want i actually want to circle back um when i say that there was uh just improvements right like aside from the obvious right you you move from 8-bit to 16-bit so you've got the like just the incredible images and those those sprites those 16-bit sprites they hold up in 
incredibly well, right? Oh, like yeah. the, this game is still great to look at. Uh, the the music is actually because it's uh, you know what this is sort of midlife SNES, so Very it's kind so. of farty. It's kind of farty, but it's still. And sorry, when I say farty, I mean if you if you understand the sounds that the the SNES puts out. <laughs> it's, uh, I think the 16-bit yeah. era was largely farty because it's really funny. There's like a fan port of Mega Man X on the Sega Genesis, believe it or not. I've seen it. I've seen it. I've never yeah. played it. Yeah, and it, it's playable, but it's very interesting to hear how the Yamaha chip versus the Sony chip handle this stuff. And um, what I like about this game is that, uh, you know, there's two ways people really handled music on the SNES, which was either um, samples, where they did like low-grade compressed samples of, of, of items, which is very much what you got on your arcade ports and whatnot. And then there's actual like just generation of music using the sound chip. Yes, and there is a very distinct... I could understand why some people would say muffled or farty. Um, either is, is accurate. Um, sound quality to that Sony DSP chip, and yeah, it's, it's fake trumpets. Like yes. I, I say party, but it's actually the fake trumpet sound that uh, if you've ever played Mario Paint um, or anything like Mario Paint, it's what <laughs> what's produced. I mean, there's just a massive horn section in that sound chip. <laughs> there's just no getting around it. Um, but yes, yes, this this game is, uh, and this game is just and uh, complete with its soundtrack. It is just ready. It's ready to party. Right, like Mega Man, like went dormant in like 1993, I think, on the NES, because Mega Man Six was originally going to be a SNES game, and it it didn't make it. And then, you know, uh, yeah, and then oh, like Mega Man Six did make it. Mega Man Six is on the NES. Uh, Seven is not. No, that's what I mean. Uh, it was going to be on the SNES, is what I was going to say. Six was going to be on the SNES, and it didn't. Oh wow, okay, it didn't that's, make that's it. Interesting. Okay, got it. Yeah, or at least that was the plan. I don't know if it ever actually entered development on that. but uh, And I forget when Mega Man 6 came out. I can look it up real quick. but So can I? I got it right here. Uh, no. So it came out uh, 93 in Japan and 94 in North America. So this comes out at the exact same time. Yeah, it is wild. Although... Yeah. Um, yeah, actually, yeah, just a month later. Like uh, a couple of months later, this comes out. Which is fascinating on, because uh, the I, Super Nintendo. I had an NES, so I got Mega Man 6, and everybody else was playing Mega Man X, probably. Um, so uh, it, it's it's very interesting. And, and you know, the formula was getting a little... had already been quite a bit tired. Um, well, if if you really want to look into things, like to, to get an idea of how fatigued... Um, how fatigued this line was by this point. Look at when Mega Man 4 and Mega Man 5 come out in North America, because it's literally, I don't even, I think it's like one or two months apart. It's absurd. <laughs> that doesn't surprise um, me. I didn't get then, five. Yeah. <laughs> and it's because they had different release dates in Japan, right? But then it's just like, okay, well, folks like this Mega Man, we better put these out. And because <laughs> everybody just thought that putting something on the, the uh, Nintendo meant it was uh, you're printing gold, right? Um, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, both of the, both four and five came out um, very, very close to each other. So then you get six. But what... What X does, right? Aside from just all of those steps, uh, in the same way that I think I described the uh, the steps, like just 
when you put this cartridge in and you turn it on compared to how you remembered original Mega Man, like you get the visuals, you get the audio, but there are other small, incredible touches in this game. Like we'll get to the bosses and we'll get to the level design in a sec. Um, I just really want to comment on um, just uh, so number number one, and this is the important one. This is what makes XX is the armor. So. Yeah. The the effort you have to go through to to acquire the armor pieces, but basically all of your abilities are, um, well, not your abilities, but like your equipment is acquirable. Uh, you get life increases that are acquirable. Uh, you get permanent energy tanks, which I'm not sure if it, oh god, just because I never played uh, five or six, I've never played them. Um, okay. I'm not sure if they were permanent equipment yet. Um, I do not believe they were. Whereas I think they were just the little blue dots, right? So if you found if you found the canisters in the levels, then you could use them, and then they were gone. Yes. Whereas in in X, like once you have them, you have them, and you can just c- continually refill them. Um, <laughs> yes. But there was like there were other touches, and I mean we'll get more into it when we start talking about the bosses and the the level design. But your actions in game had a direct impact on mm-hmm. other levels in the game, which was really sort of new. That was something that I, I don't think I'd seen in, in the game before. There were also the elemental weaknesses, but in this one, they were sort of dialed up because there were some, there were some bosses that you would fight with the right, um, with the right weapon and it would directly like impact them. I, the best example I can think of is the, uh, the armadillo mm-hmm. where you hit them with, with Mandrill's electricity and it blows his armor off just blows it right off and he can't okay, use it anymore. So yeah, we need to talk about this because I didn't do enough experimenting to figure that out. And Armadillo is an easy but painstaking boss because he takes <laughs> yep. so little damage. But um, but yes, yes, I, uh, I really struggled. I, I should point out when I played this game, I have never, never had to use a guide um, for uh, how to play the game, the levels, the bosses. And I found a majority of items on my own. There were two or three items that were just... I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just going to come out and say it. that were bullshit. And to find <laughs> okay. one and collect the other two, I had to look up how to do it. And when I found out, I was more frustrated than not knowing because I was like, that's what you expected without telling me anything. But I did read the well, manual, and I found yeah. most of the items on my own. The um, I think the the real fu moment in this game uh-huh. is uh, it has to be the gun upgrade, um, because you're you're <laughs> all you've just been introduced, like you've been introduced to the boots. You don't realize until you get your helmet that your helmet can destroy like rocks. Mm -hmm. If you jump up, but if you don't do that dash jump into the rocks at the right angle to break the one so that you can cling to the next one, you're, you're fucking lost, right? (laughs) You just, you have to start over. Um, I mean, unless I guess because, uh, well, no, you wouldn't have the gun upgrade yet. So you couldn't even use the, uh, the penguins, uh, charged, charged weapon so that it turns into a a block of ice that you can slide on wow yeah like there's no easy way to get that gun you just have to nail that jump and hope for the best and you have to just like know it's there but um real quick before we move on uh one thing i want to point out that is definitely a distinction that we're kind of dancing around and i don't even think we're like not calling it out on purpose but i want to make sure to say it is the biggest change to me for x and you find it out right away 
is that X is far more agile than Mega Man slash Rockman. We should point out oh, in Japan, yeah. this is known as Rockman. Yeah, um, you're, you're not just sliding on the ground. You're jumping all over the fucking place. <laughs> yeah, he can bounce off of walls. He can do ricochet jumps, kind of like Samus learned to do in Super Metroid. He has a dash, so he's much more um, move, like he can just blitz across areas he can hop off of stuff and again this makes this does change things a lot because the whole idea behind the Mega Man series up to this point was he was kind of a slow lumbering cumbersome character that just had all these extra weapons to kind of even out the odds and now that's not enough like I mean yeah if you know the weaknesses I I watched a a long play of this for an hour and my jaw about hit the floor watching every, yeah, you know, once watching you figure it out the weaknesses, know. you're like, wow, <laughs> yeah. I didn't look yeah. up. So I should point out when I beat this game, uh, this is just so I don't have to say it later. I did not do a specific order. In fact, you probably laughed when you saw that one of the last bosses I beat was spark mandrel, because I think he's the one they recommend you beat first. Um, yeah. So either, either spark mandrel or the penguin, because with the penguin, uh, you get the boots right away. So, and if you kill the penguin, the penguin is the direct weakness of spark mandrel. Okay. So that makes sense. So chill penguins, the first one, but, um, but yeah, like I didn't follow any orders and I didn't look it up and I did not largely figure out uh, boss's weaknesses, I should point out. Um, that said, figuring out patterns and, and the way around this game is, is doable. So as usual, um, you can beat this game without knowing that stuff and still enjoy it, which I definitely did. Um, and I, I still stand by this, especially once you get the upgrade, the mega buster still stands as the best. Oh my God. The mega buster is a lot of, well, did you get the fifth piece of armor? The Hadouken? Yeah, did you get it? No. Okay. But I, I know how to say, do it. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, because the fifth piece of armor is, uh, that's the best weapon in the game. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, but I mean, uh, if you're no, a cheater. I, I but, read how yeah. to do it, and I was like, oh, no, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting one. Um, I mean, once you get used to actually performing that, uh, it, it's not so hard to do it, but... Um, yeah, uh, spent a lot of my childhood trying to get that Hadouken. Sure. Um, a lot of my childhood. Uh, anyway, yeah, so that was just like a nice little uh, tie-in. I mean, Street Fighter was still, like, well, specifically Street Fighter 2 was on fire at this point, right? You had Street Fighter Turbo coming out in a couple of months in arcades. Uh, st- sorry, Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo coming out. All the other Street mm-hmm. Fighter 2s had already been released. Um well, and, also of yeah. note, Street Fighter 2 was um, a limited time exclusive on the SNES. Uh, and of course, Mega Man X was a Capcom exclusive. And uh, before anyone speculates on this, they were very straightforward. Capcom is very straightforward. Um, just recently read in Alex Aniel's book, uh, Itchy Tasty, about how those connections are intentional. Capcom uh, never favored one um, platform over another. However, they always tried to make their games distinct on those platforms. They tried very rare, very rarely, if ever did they release the exact same game port for port on, um, on competing consoles until like the PlayStation two era. Yeah. Well, yeah. PlayStation one, PlayStation, PlayStation two. And I'm thinking of the, um, when they started doing the anniversary editions, right. And and then it was just like literally ports of the old games. (laughs) Um, and, and then a bunch of, a bunch of extra stuff put in there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, 
Wow. Also, interesting shift. Uh, you're no longer fighting men or women. You are fighting animals. <laughs> yes, anthropomorphic animals, which is my favorite genre of uh, movie, if, you, if you're not aware. Um, I, I love when animals talk. And so uh, they don't talk in this game, but I loved it. Like, I was like, oh, these are they're animals <laughs> you can't tell right at the offset until you get into these levels and you're like oh chill penguin right oh, yeah. like yeah. spark Ooh. mandrill or uh oh god what was the elephant called um uh, it was uh flame mammoth or yeah. it, was, it was something it was simple mammoth. like that but like yeah. the last name was mammoth because he's a big one yeah um what did you think about boomer uh boomer he was, uh, he's the one oh, with the boomerang the, on his head. Uh, yeah, he was the, the bull. Yeah. You think he's a bull, but he's, act- well, he's a okay. stag beetle. And I had oh, to look up his name because I'm really? like, what the hell is that word? So uh, when they translate his name uh, to English, it does not translate well. It doesn't even <laughs> translate to the name of the, uh, the beetle uh, that it is in, in Japanese. Like it's quite a few letters off. Um, mm-hmm. So when, like I was thinking about it, I'm like, why is Boomer in this game. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what is he? Cause he he's doesn't tall, look he's like, skinny. He's got like yeah. Ram horns. Like, and it makes sense when you realize, Oh, he's a beetle, right? Yeah. Uh, it's like, okay, yeah, he's a beetle. And that makes sense. But I, I had to do some digging. Uh, thank you, Wikipedia for that one. Um, but, uh, yeah, he, th- that's what he's he there was because they're out for all of the impossible to get shit is his special move. <laughs> And he does, he does some, him and the chameleon are like the kings of, I'm going to disappear and then you can't hit me. Uh, but what's, uh, I'm trying to remember if it's chameleon or him. Uh, Oh, ah, geez. Yeah. Just uh, the, all you have to do is shoot the, um, the torpedo and it just finds him and it doesn't matter. Um, I I never thought about that. Um, they use the octopus and it gets them. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Um, there are some weaknesses that I found to be very effective that may or may not be intentional. Um, so for him, actually, and the octopus, I found that the tornado um, was very effective, um, more yep. so on the octopus. But yeah, the fact that um, <clears throat> one of the most frustrating things about this game um, to me was one, the ability for the bosses to um, put themselves in a state where they can't be damaged. Almost every boss has a state they put themselves in where they can't be hurt. And that's very frustrating. That is very non-Mega Man. Um, The other part, and I think the more um, egregious uh, decision, design decision, is that every enemy, not just bosses, but every enemy and especially bosses, not just the bots either, like the bosses in the later levels, like in the, um, oh, who's the big bad? Uh, it's not Wily, obviously. Yeah, it's Sigma in this one. Sigma, yeah. All the bosses do massive amounts of damage when they touch you, and so their tactic is to touch you. Like, that is the number one goal of I I feel like it's damn near every boss well, is to touch you. That car's goal. That that hover car is <laughs> trying to Oh yeah. Yeah, but even the chameleon, like like run around the screen all you want. Like their whole goal is to touch you. And yeah. I found that to be just at first it's like maddening because that is just 
they were always doing their own patterns. And if they happen to touch you, they happen to touch you. But it definitely wasn't a boss's goal. I can't think of, I'm sure there's one or two in the Mega Man games, but like never before have I had so many bosses so eager to get so close to me and touch me because they know <laughs> it just does much more damage. And, and that's it, interesting. Yeah. Like you can see, so I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm just, my brain's going back to Mega Man two, Mega Man two, right. Uh, you think about somebody like, uh, like quick man, metal man, uh, even flash man, right. They're okay. just running back and forth. Sometimes, especially in quick man's case, like he would jump up or in like some irregular pattern, uh, and you wouldn't always be able to predict where he was going to come down and he'd end up hitting you. And so running into the bosses in those games, it could hurt. Um, but I think, uh, sort of what, what's getting revealed here is there's a little bit more AI under the hood for these guys. Like, and they are Mm -hmm. aggressive. Like they're, they're aggro as fuck. Sure. (laughs) they're coming for you. Well, um, and, it, and, and, you know, it, it comes as no shock to me that the answer to all of these is uh, leap up the walls. You now have that ability, so let's do it. So they definitely leaned heavily into the new agility of this, uh, of, of Axe, right? A few of them had those horrible abilities where they would knock you down and you bounce on your ass for like two seconds. Yeah, you know what? Believe it or not, I was prepared for that with both, uh, I think it's Spark Mandrel and uh, the Mammoth that can do it. Um, I was prepared for that. And maybe it was DuckTales, which was also a Capcom joint or various others, but there were bosses where they would hit the ground and rattle you. And so even other Mega Man, it happened in other Mega Man too. It's also very useful in some of Sigma's levels where they purposefully remove the walls. Right. (laughs) And they're like, okay, now you don't have that option. What are you going to do? You can't, you can't jump up. You know, um, it's actually in only one area now that I think about it. The, uh, the shovel knight guy, the, the purple guy that fights, uh, Axe at first. Um, yes. yeah, yeah, you I, have to I fight him with no walls off the top of my head, but yeah, uh, he, he's like the, he's the two minute bad guy, right? <laughs> like he's always kicking your ass until you kill him. Right. Yes. Yeah. So. He's, he was, he was in amusing. Um, but, uh, but yeah, yeah, I, uh. I, 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 again, at first it's off-putting. Once you navigate your way around it, though, you have a breeze. It's, it's kind of a breeze with all these bosses, and I can beat all of them with the Mega Buster, no problem. Uh, mostly because, yeah. and you kind of saw this, Chase, and I'm guessing you were biting your tongue as we were talking about it on Discord, um, because we had very little discussion about it, but I was kind of showing you my progress. I think I beat the first time almost every one of these bosses with the Mega Buster, without right. the and- gun upgrade. And you can, right? Like you yeah. can, you just have to get used to their patterns um, mm-hmm. and some of their bullshit. Like that armadillo, I refuse to do it just because it takes so long. Like it's, I think it, it would be almost a 12 minute fight. Um, yeah. You can dodge all those bullets and, and stuff like that. And his roly poly bounce off the walls, but why not just blast his armor off with, <laughs> with electricity and then go to town on him? Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, every everybody else like the penguin for me it's it's second nature i can smoke him with the the mega blaster um mm-hmm. same thing with the mammoth i can i can mm-hmm. take him out with the mega blaster i i don't do it for mandrill only because i always have the penguin's ice and mandrill's always up on the roof and all you have to do is shatter ice on the walls and it'll bring him down it freezes him um and he just oh, falls no kidding Mm. Um, yeah. So then you don't have to deal with that malarkey. Just, <laughs> well, it's <laughs> funny because the things you think will work on them, right. I'm going 
old school Mega Man 2, which is why I shouldn't be surprised that they don't work. But like, I'm like, okay, Armadillo. Okay, so then to me, the chameleon's like acid spit or whatever should hurt it, but it doesn't. Right. And like, um, to me, the ice should work on the mammoth because he's fire, but it yeah. doesn't. Yeah. And so and it's it very surprising yeah. to me as to what works on what, uh, I tried spark mandrel spark on the octopus, right. We're underwater. Like it would, it would make sense. Right. But it doesn't, but it doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah. And uh, so that's why I was very many times at a loss for what the most effective are. And then there are just certain bosses, like you said, chill penguin. And then, um, I forgot his name. The Falcon, the bird. Um, he, oh I actually forget his name as well, but yeah, he, yeah. he's got his own kind of shenanigans. Yeah. Yeah. We'll call him Falco because that's what he is in Star Fox. Um, but yeah, he's, he's just easier to beat with the mega buster. Like yes. to counter his moves is more of a, a an act of agility and, and twitch reflexes as opposed to um, actually, you know, being able to hit him. Um, once you hit him, he actually takes a surprising amount of damage. Um, so yeah, I, like I said, it uh, it's just it was just interesting to me. Um, and initially, it was off putting, right? I wrote to you, I was like, "This is really hard." But no, once you get to know the game, it's actually not that hard. And it's important that you need that you develop those skills because they are going to be put to the test in Sigma's levels, as they always were before in the Wily levels, right? Famously, yeah. the Wily levels, the the boss levels were the most frustrating part of any Mega Man game. In fact, I, I often look at it as the second half of the game, and many people would look at it as like a post-game kind of thing, right? Because yeah. Yeah. It, they, the mechanics are different. Everything gets switched up. So. Yeah, and so what's interesting to me is I, I look at this game, right? And I compare it to some of the Mega Man games that I've played the most. So number two, uh, so uh, again, this is Mega Man 2, not Mega Man X2. Uh, we will talk about that if we still have time at the end, just because there's some interesting improvements that go into that game. Yeah, like um, the title screen. But uh, <laughs> hey, there you go. Um, uh, but Mega Man 2, Mega Man 3, and Mega Man 4. Uh, Mega Man 3 has like some some really ridiculous boss. Like you're running a, a serious marathon. Yes. Mega Man 2 was very much about um, being incredibly conservative with your utility items and your your weapons. Um, Mega Man 4 kind of scaled that back a little bit. Uh, there there were less uh, bad guys that had like um, just one weapon specific weaknesses and i don't think that even comes up in x right like in if i remember in sigma's level um i mean there there are advantages there there are weapons you should use against the the bosses but again this is one of those situations where number one there is no level that is just tubes that you teleport correct um they're spread out over the levels and number two um, I'm pretty sure you can hit all of the bosses just with your Mega Blaster. I think the final form of Sigma was the only exception. And I can yeah, never and, figure out what gun to use, which was my uh, biggest armadillo. Problem. You have to use the armadillo ball. Uh, yeah, the so shield. Like, yeah. Yeah. But you can like, you know how you can project it? Um, yes. y- yeah. So you use that on the head. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't, I didn't figure that out. Well, it was like yeah. the one and, I didn't think to use. This is one of those things where, like, uh, it's intuitive to me now, but only because it probably took me hours and hours to figure it out as a kid. Sure. Yeah. Well, and I, 
we can, I don't know if you want to talk about it now or not, but um, the password system and the way it saves is actually more liberal than previous Mega Man games. Yeah. But going back to it, uh, you, you almost take it for granted as like an alternative to save states. Originally, this was going to have save states, uh, a save cart, and they chose not to um, <clears throat> for production costs. And, um, and, uh, what is challenging is when you beat each level of Sigmas, there's, uh, three levels of Sigmas. Uh, maybe it's four because I think the, the final boss battle with him is the fourth level. Yeah, four because but then you got to fight the dog and then you fight him and then you fight him. His final form. Yeah. yeah. And, um, but when you, when you play each of those levels, you get a password at the end. And if you don't turn off the system, when you you can go to like other levels, like I would always go to um, Armadillo's level to um, build up my energy containers and grab a couple lives because you can just sit there and grind the characters at the beginning for yeah. like five minutes and get it. And then yes. I would enter the level. Well, um, you would get a password after you beat each level. So I, you ready for this, Chase? The first time I was playing this, I got to the final area of Sigma where I fought the dog and everything. And I died and... I had been playing for like three hours straight, um, actually getting through the first time through all of Sigma's levels. And then my wife and family were like, hey, can you come and like watch a movie with us or something? And I said, yeah, sure. I wrote down the password because I had just beaten it and uh, I had already tested it, like going into the Armadillo level and then going back into Sigma's level. And I was like, oh, cool. I just start on the boss battle. And then when I went back and put in the password, it takes you all the way back to the first Sigma level. Yeah. And that yeah. is understandable, but it was gut wrenching. Yeah, that's uh that's a I wish I had a safe state moment right there. Yeah, right. This is where the emulator people are like, really? That's how it works. <laughs> but uh yeah, I was playing this on legit uh hardware. Um and uh and oh, and again, I have an SD2 SNES, which does have save states, uh, but I didn't enable them. Um, sometimes it plays wonky with certain games, and I just didn't want to chance it. Um, but uh, I also try not to use save states, right? I want to play the game as it was originally intended. Um, so yeah, that was that was a little off-putting. Um, also, whenever you load up a password, you go back to two lives. That doesn't surprise me, but all your containers are empty, and you have to refill them. I thought that was like short-sighted, in my opinion. Like... Maybe they didn't do that intentionally, but it was like, uh, you're just basically making me grind for 10 minutes at the beginning of any round. And I don't understand the purpose of that. I, well, I believe, oh, and this is just a uh, developer brain, uh, sure. going on here. Your energy containers can be filled to certain increments, right? And I'm not sure how minuscule that gets. If it's every single little piece of life mm -hmm. and it measures every single little piece of life for each one of those tanks. But if it does, I think the it does. variable possibilities for, for those uh, passwords, I see what you're um, saying. Yes. Maybe it was just too great. No, right? but, so but yeah, but to me, when you start a new level, all of your weapons are full and your health is full. So why wouldn't your tanks be full? Sure. I don't know. I, I guess we're, I don't know about you, but I just always go into a level and fill up the tanks anyway, uh, before right. I take them into a level. So you're just skipping a step at that point. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I hear what you're getting at. I also, again, I'm thinking this was probably the first time they had them as a permanent piece of equipment. I agree. It, yeah. My memory serves. Yeah, I believe um, that's I, true. 
Yeah, um, because before this, it was always just things that you picked up and used. You could get right? like a single E-tank and use it, but it was a one and done. Yeah. Yeah, like this is one of the first times. And you actually, there's some interesting build out in this game. Like the narrative is a little better shaped. Um, you get some cutscenes in this, but they're not like anime cutscenes. It's just like in-game uh, cutscene. So like you get these um i mean you always had proto man and like wily and there was these very expressive scenes um mm. but uh, in this one i found like there was a lot more dialogue um even though uh x is still the silent pr- protagonist uh so yeah again a lot more dialogue but um i think it's good uh, like for for the teeny tiny goofy uh story that it is you get this exposition dump at the beginning if you if you don't push start at the start screen. So it's like, okay, this is what's going on with X. Uh, He's about to wake up in a world that's mostly replicants uh, and where like Maverick, Maverick replicants just want to kill humans because humans are like the bad guys now instead of robots. Um, Yeah. It's just, it's it's uh, cyberpunk as hell. So like who, what's not to love. Although I did screw it up um, on this. uh, I realized it's 21 XX and I always thought it was 20 XX, but that's probably because of that steam game that came out. Um, and, uh, and so of course in, in previewing that this episode was coming in episode two, I said in the year 20 XX and I'm like, oh, well, I mean, what's interesting is like, I believe this was designed to be the future of the Mega Man universe. Uh, yes. and if, if you follow the story, um, if it can be trusted and this is my understanding of it, uh, I, I can't just cause it's been a while since I've played number two and number three. I'm pretty sure X was made by light, which is obvious because lights in all the capsules. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is a hundred years later, instead of 20 XX, it's, it's 21 XX. Yes. But I'm pretty sure zero is made by Wiley. And I, I don't think yeah. that this is a spoiler. Um, I think that it's something uh, that gets, that gets shown, um, <laughs> in number two, if you take the time to find all the pieces of zero, which, by the way, in number two, you can reassemble zero. Well, and I was waiting in all of uh, of Mega Man X for zero to be somebody I would fight, actually. Um, That's fair. And, yeah. and it doesn't and happen. Uh, full disclosure. But, uh, yeah, I, I bet it did. Um, but because uh, I remember uh, getting stuck on Sigma's second form. And being like, I can't figure out how to hurt him. And then when I beat him, I just have to freaking fight zero. So what's the point? And that's when I finally gave up because I did not beat this game. Um, And I want to just say for the record, you know, just to go back and contextualize like we do on this show. um, That's par for the course. There are many, many, many Super Nintendo games where I get to like a late boss or the last boss and you just don't beat the game. And you can go back and try it. Like that was always the draw when you were younger. And it was like one of the handful of games you had was to keep giving it a go, right? Everybody thrives on the roguelike. Hell, my whole life was a roguelike when I was growing up because it was just a bunch of games that I probably couldn't beat, but I was going to give it a go again today, you know, like, um, and so that's, that's fine. I think I would have thoroughly enjoyed this game and it, it, you know, it was received to rave reviews at the time and I can see why. Um, but it was okay. So what's, what's interesting here is it was an 
it was a really fun distraction, but as you've already stated, and as all of the actual plays um, that, that you'll see, or sorry, the playthroughs that you'll see on YouTube uh, can can attest to, if you know how to play this game, you're about an hour, maybe two, and you're done, <laughs> yes. right? Once you are there, you're there. And so uh, what's really interesting is this game comes out, and a few months later, um, Metroid... Super Metroid comes out and does it better, right? Because there's yeah. just so much more to that game. Um, whereas uh, Mega Man X was never trying to be that, but there you can see that they're introducing slowly some Metroidvania elements into it. So there's reasons to go back to a level. Um, there are uh, so a good example is if you defeat the penguin before you go into the mammoths level. Uh, the the reactors will cool, and then instead of it being all fire, it's it's covered in ice. Mm-hmm. Um, if you defeat the the bird, that plane crashes into the mandrel's base, and then most of the lights are out, and all the electricity is off. Well, it's not off, but there's still it's, the lights yeah. on and off sections. But yeah, like the you can see that the plane has actually crashed into the building. Um, and that's stuff that would persist into Mega Man X2 as well. Like your your efforts actually have tangible um like tangible effects on the geography, which I always thought was interesting. Like it was just a little bit of legacy. So there was reasons to go back to to levels. And actually the, the Hadouken is a really good example. Uh there's a reason to go back to a, a very specific part of a level to get that yes. ability. Yes, and uh, that jump is impossible. Um, but uh, uh, another thing that I will say is, uh, you know, when it comes to 2D Castlevania games, my favorite, hands down, is um, Rondo of Blood. And that is the hardest of, in my opinion, the Castlevania games uh, out of all of them. It is hands yeah, down the hardest. Very hard game. I yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. level eight's a yeah. boss rush, and it, you basically have to beat all the bosses from the original Castlevania in rapid succession, one life bar. And it's brutal. Um, and uh, I've never actually beaten it, to be honest. <laughs> um and, uh, and yet, what I love so much about that game is that the castle can be changed, your route can be changed, which was first started in 3, and uh, more importantly, there are little side areas of the castle, and some of which just don't really have much going on. Like, there's one area, I think, where you actually, you're, you're seeing a conveyor belt of rocks, and if you find, like, a back alcove, there's no special ability, there's no meat, there's no, like, item to pick up, you just see a guy just on a hamster wheel wheel or like turning a crank to cause that to happen and like that's just like one of those fun touches from the early 90s that i always appreciated in video games where it's like oh, okay somebody thought about it and they wanted to convey like yeah we thought about how this mechanism would actually function in the in the castle and let you see it if you wanted to and this just seems like capcom's version of that right like they're starting to go okay we can accept these worlds as cohesive um interconnected worlds right that that can affect one another and that can be affected by one another and i actually find it fascinating um believe it or not uh until you told me to go back to a level um you know i kind of wrote to you and i said there were certain things i knew where the items were i just didn't know how to get to them and one of those was in uh i think it is mighty the armadillo's level um Wait, Mighty the Armadillo is actually from Sonic. Uh, it's from yes. the Armadillo level. Yeah. Armored Armadillo, I think, is what he there is. There you go. 
Yeah. Um, but uh, where you can slide into a pit and you actually find like rocks on the side and you can kick them away. And then there's just this huge gap. And if you haven't beaten um, the octopus level, then it's just a huge gap. And you can make the leap and see that there's a heart container over there, but you can't make that jump. And I kept telling you, there must be like an air dash. And you're like, there's no air dash. Um, but I was like, there must be an air dash because I don't know how else to make this jump. But once you beat the octopus's level, it's submerged in water. And the water allows you to make that leap. And it's like, oh, cool. Like all that stuff is very cool. Um, and it was really awesome to see. You know what I'm saying? And and that I always found um, fascinating. However, I will say the one part that really frustrated me was there is a move that is not in the manual that even you didn't mention to me, but I didn't directly ask you, which is the um, there is like a, a super wall jump, which is pressing B and A at the same yes. time when you leap off yes. of a wall. And you, yeah, you like ex- super accelerate off of the wall. It's not like the Samus uh, super bomb jump. <laughs> but no, it's, no, uh, it's not. No, it's just like a spring long jump. Yeah. Um, but you need it to get one of the heart containers and to beat certain parts of Sigma's levels. Yes, um, and also it's incredibly handy to get over those larger bosses when you want to get over, if you're like doing the wall hang, yes. where you just climb up into the corner and hope that they won't come after you. Uh, you bull, slide down a little that bit. That bull beetle that down at, at the bottom and he's like, just fall. It's fine. I'm waiting yep. for you. Just fall. Yep. Yep. So, so you do the you do that jump, uh, like that accelerated jump uh, to get to the other side and just blast their face off. Yeah. Yeah, hands down. But um but but like I said, all things considered, like I found that great. And that added a longevity to the game and also a dynamic to the game that really distinguishes it from other Mega Man games. Because at its core, if you're just doing the one hour blitz through. It is very much a Mega Man game through and through. Like, it is 90% Mega Man, 10% this new thing, right? This new agility mechanic. Um, Once you start factoring in the other levels, collecting everything, and the way they affect each other, it becomes much more of a, this is 50% traditional Mega Man, 50% something new. And that's what is most compelling to me. That's what kept my attention. It's not the fact that I didn't beat Sigma. It was the fact that I got to play all these really cool levels and play the game of discovering all these items, right? And let's face it, like we didn't know we wanted that yet, but when Symphony of the Night Night hits and the Metroidvania franchise, I guess Super Metroid would be actually the first version of this. um, When that genre kicks off, you know, the obsession with looking in every nook and cranny to find every item just absolutely, I mean, that, that sustains today, right? Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so uh, did you play any other X games? No. Okay. Um, <laughs> Sorry. So wh- no, and th- there's nothing wrong with that. You don't have to apologize for, for having interest in other things, right? Like I have played very few shoot 'em ups um, and very few Less treasure for games. Me. I know. Uh, well, actually, the new R type on uh, on Xbox is amazing. Just as a heads uh, up, yeah, R type um, final, yeah, uh, final two, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, circling back, okay. So Mega Man Two, Mega Man Two takes the recipe of, or sorry, Mega Man X Two takes the recipe of Mega Man X and dials it up a little. In that, um, there's a bunch of 
okay, there are hidden bosses in this game, but they're not real bosses. Mega Man X2, uh, there's a point where if you want to get what's effectively like a good ending, um, you have to hunt for secret bosses all across the uh, the, the different levels. And you're doing all of this while also trying to get uh, your new set of armor. Um, huh. It's it's an interesting new dynamic. Um, it's a bunch of new animals that you have to slaughter. <laughs> Which I love, um, bunch, for the record. Yeah. Yeah, a bunch of new abilities. And that animal uh, motif, that sticks for quite a while. Like, uh, into the PlayStation era and past. Although I think... I'm trying. I'm trying to remember. Things start getting a little off the rails when you get to a boat. It's either um, X four, six, or seven. Oh, si- well, six, four is good. Six is on PS2. Yeah, uh, f- four is really, really good. It's the PlayStation uh, Mega Man X, so it's right up there with Mega Man Seven. No, Mega Man Eight. It was on PlayStation. Mm-hmm. Both of those games really really good so like the step from um nes to super nintendo um so this is the step from super nintendo to playstation for both both of those games like it's just uh like just incredible music incredible graphics uh you you get some really nice anime cutscenes. um just all the stuff you would expect but it's also oh, yeah. still beautiful 2d animation uh-huh. um in those games um, well, yeah, and I've, I've heard about that. The only thing, the only joke I always hear is about a Doctor Wiley. Like uh, it's it's Elmer Fudd. Uh. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, but otherwise, that's, that's seven. Yeah, that was a poor, <laughs> poor choice. Uh, it's not so bad in Mega Man X Four, Mega Man. But also, you can start playing Zero, so you're doing fun things like uh, Hadoukens. Also, the the armor upgrades go off the wall. Uh, Mega Man just I- becomes. I have heard that the X series is actually like, um, it's one of those things where people are like, Oh, you got to check it out. Like it's, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like, uh, um, uh, metal gear solid in that regard where it's like, Oh, you got to see what they did in this one. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like I said, I, I have intentions of playing it and that's why I made that joke because I think it was Mega Man X two and X three both have special chips in them only to render the title screen. Yeah. And well, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to, this isn't a huge spoiler, okay. but they say just to render the title screen, but I already know that in two, that chip is being utilized for one of the bosses. One gotcha. of the end. Okay. Back end bosses. That makes sense. Yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty, no, pretty um, wild. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty wild. <clears throat> but, um, but yeah, so like I said, it's, um, as a complete package, and we're, we're about halfway through the discussion, and one thing I definitely want to talk about, um, but we, we don't have to do that till the end, is where Mega Man X, I have some very surprising statistics and information about where Mega Man X sits from a public standpoint as opposed to history and what we're talking about and things like that. And I, I think there's, there's an interesting discussion to be had there. I just you know what? I, Let's do it. You want to do what? it? Well, I do think we should wrap up with it, because I think it's it's really good, and I don't want to kill our um, kind of like what we've got going here with the Mega Man X uh, games. Okay. Because yeah. again, the development there's not a whole lot that comes out of the development. It's just a lot of Capcom PR speak from the perspective of KG and Afune, um, where he basically says, "Oh, I wasn't as actively involved as you'd think I was. I designed most of the bosses." 
Like that's kind of his big thing. He designed the aesthetics of the bosses. Um, that's not a major factor, uh, in my opinion. Like they look fine, but you know what? What makes that game special is not what the bosses look like. In fact, if I may be so bold, there are a couple of bosses that are kind of samey. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Inafune dialed it in a little bit, but he was working on so much. That was the other thing was Capcom people, we should point out Capcom Japan uh, developers, which is pretty much all of Capcom in the early 90s, uh, didn't do anything other than work. <laughs> no, they, I don't think they slept. I, they, they definitely slept at didn't the have desk. They yeah. had uh, they had co- they had places to sleep in the office. Like it was yeah. customary to have established if your place you, to sleep in the office. If you Wikipedia, what's coming out of Capcom? Um, once they start, like God, once they start uh, working on Nintendo, and I mean they're they're working on arcade um, arcade machines and everything, right? They're just pushing the stuff out, but like it is absurd the yeah. stuff that they get out. They right, and same thing with Konami. Like Konami is doing incredible work at this at this point, mm-hmm. um, and like, uh, I mean, there's a number, right? Like this is the silver age of gaming, right? Yeah. If the golden age is like the the Atari era, like this is the silver age. Everything is awesome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, so and I'll give you that. Point. Right, like, like it's it's easy to take this game at face value and initially be like off put, you know, but I even look back at like the title screen that I sent you from my, my TV. And I'm like, God, that looks good. Like just as a, as a static image taken on a cell phone, like, um, and again, I'm playing it in RGB, but still like it's, it's just, it's, it's just stunning. Like, I mean, the, the game sounds great. Uh, the soundtrack, I, I'm sorry to say, and I will have interspersed all over this episode pieces okay. of the soundtrack. Yeah. Um, yeah. It is very good. I'm struggling to, outside of like a handful of levels, think of anything specific. It's um, not Mega Man Two. Yeah. Like it just doesn't. It doesn't hit it right. Um, it there. <sighs> the title screen there, and the okay. first level like are very distinct to me, but beyond that, yes. And Zero's theme. Zero has a specific theme that is just his, that when you hear it, you know, oh, Zero's showing up. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, that's true. (laughs) You know, it's, um, yeah, so other than that, and I mean, that's a little unfortunate, and I'm not trying to downplay the soundtrack at all. It's just, unfortunately, there were some incredible things accomplished on the Nintendo (laughs) that for whatever reason, they just didn't do uh, here. But the sound effects... Like that mega buster going off the explosions. Mm-hmm. Like there are, there are some very great, um, uh, things going on there. Did you ever go back to the, uh, the bird level with your flamethrower? Uh, are you talking about the exploding canisters? Yeah. Did you ever set the, well, you didn't need the flamethrower to set them off. You could do it with your, I did uh, it with the, uh, I actually did it with the, uh, I was unable to do it with the mega buster, but remember I didn't have the souped up mega buster. I just had the yep. regular charge shot. Um, I actually ended up doing it with the, uh, the, um, the, the, the boss's, uh, tornado. It oh, sets that's actually off. really funny. Yeah. yeah. You just have to do enough damage to it, but like the, the flame, it's just consistent damage. You can also um, go back to the penguin level and blow the tops off of the igloos. <laughs> yes. There's actually a heart <laughs> container in one of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. 
Um, so I did sorry. collect everything, I should point out, yeah. other than the Hadouken. I knew the, the, how to collect it. I just couldn't get to it. Yeah, there is some, like, there's some really, like, there's some great sound effects that carry over from Ness. Uh, so like the, the refilling of, um, of your health and stuff, mm-hmm. and it's, it's pretty clear, but then you can see that they're putting a bunch of work into a good example is that armor. When you're sliding around in that armor and you feel like a goddamn boss, <laughs> like the punchy armor, um, just the sound it makes, it, it sounds like it's, it's firing hydraulics just to move you along the ground or something. Yes. Um, yeah, like there, there's some, some good design and, and sound effect going, going into that. Well, um, I believe they recycle a lot of that in the event, the Misadventures of Tronbon on the PS1. Um, she uses mostly mechanical beings, and um, and a lot of that carries over. Which the reason that's significant is because at, at the PlayStation, I mean, they can sample anything they want, they can create anything they want, and so the idea that they decide to recycle this stuff just means it's significant, right? It's as distinct as that that gut-wrenching but also somewhat comforting sound when Mega Man blows up. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yeah, I still remember that. I'm pretty sure it was an EGN review where it's like, just rave reviews and then it's like the good is all the all the stuff that's good and then the bad is when Mega Man gets hit, it looks like it really hurts. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, wow, games media has changed. (laughs) Yes, yes. Um, games media has changed a lot. Uh, looking up reviews on this uh, uh, was was something that uh, I definitely noticed. Um, but before we get into reviews and stuff, it, was there anything else you wanted to discuss about the game itself? Because I will admit, I'm kind of getting near the end. Um, we should point out, since we were talking about the music, um, Setsuo Yamamoto uh, was actually responsible for uh, the main compositions. However, they brought in four side composers, um, which to me reeks of um, somebody getting spread a little too thin. Yeah. This, uh, when I'm, I'm looking at it right now and it is a surprising number mm-hmm. when yeah, you think about yeah. <laughs> what they accomplished on other games. <laughs> so also this got a PC I, port, which I'm betting isn't great. <laughs> yeah. That's a safe bet. Um, <laughs> I didn't try okay. it, uh, but anyway, yeah. In in I'm just I'm thinking right now in terms of talking about levels I guarantee you there's gonna be somebody out there who wants us to go in depth about like what our favorite okay you know what yeah let's do it okay what what is so think about you're playing a level um and it just strikes you it's just like there's something in this level and you're just like oh that's really cool what is one good example of that in this game because I feel like there were a few of them there were uh, at least. Yeah, for me, there were two. Um, the um, the chameleons level was the most uh, aesthetically pleasing for me. I and I really dug um, the the bot version of all the uh, you know, I guess I would say uh, life in a forest. Um, this is very similar to Woodman's level in Mega yeah. Man Two. We're gonna we're gonna talk about the credits in a second, uh, okay. just because you reminded me of that. But yeah, uh, keep going. So there's that, and then my favorite level actually is um, the uh, oh god, is it Falcon the the Birdman level? Like I really like platforming, and I really like how you can like save yourself in some of the most ridiculous ways in this game. In yeah, the and Sigma, it's not le- you're you're not just gonna 
plummet to your death when you jump on those horns. Yeah. Well, and like, yeah, yes. And also like, um, in the, the bird boss level, uh, boss battle in Sigma's level, you can get pushed off the edge by his tornado. And I did. And I was still able to um, grab at the very edge of the screen, um, the very bottom of the platform and leap my way back up. And I was like, oh, I lived. Like the fact that that happened at all is the summation as to why this game rocks. Um, But yeah, I really liked that level. Um, for the record, also, I remember that level because the heart container is bullshit because you basically have to ride the uh, the different um, uh, rotating platforms to the top and then just do a leap of faith to the left. And yes. I was like, why would you ever think that that's like something to do? <laughs> yeah. Um, yep. So, yep. yeah, that 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 I struggled with. But, yes, that is my favorite level. Um, I also like that. um you know, I might be merging it with a different level, but the there is also that one where there's like a robot in like glass and you can just blast the uh um the the rocket and uh, I think it's the homing missile and then it shatters all the glass everywhere and then you can pick up like the energy container I think it is. I think that might be on the Birdman level, but anyway. Yeah, I think that's on the Birdman level. But, um yes, it is on the Birdman level cuz you have to blow in it's basically like a command tower or like a flight a flight tower or something. Right. And you just blow a hole in it. And yeah, that's how you get into it. Um, okay, cool. Uh, so j- just a few asides from, because you reminded me, if you watch the end credits, when you win this game, it names every single monster or sorry, every t- single enemy. Yeah. Guess what the name of that woodpecker is from uh, the chameleon level. No idea. Woody. It's a, a mighty pecker. The Mighty Packer. That's fantastic. I thought that that was... That was my like nickname in it, high school. Um, it but, really uh, stuck out, you know, uh, as any Mighty Packer would. Uh, I want so, a t-shirt now that says the Mighty Packer, and I guarantee you it exists. I guarantee I so. you that shirt exists. I really hope so. If it doesn't, um, it needs to. So, like, some some of my favorites that I remember from a kid was anytime I could climb into that suit of armor, just because that one guy hypes it up so bad when you see him in it, like, right at the intro level. Um, but there's also some other, like, really fun stuff going on with level design in this game, like, with destructible environment. Um, which uh, this really felt like a first for the for um, the Capcom Mega Man series. So when when you're just starting the game and you encounter those like throwaway flying creatures or those throwaway uh, throwaway flying um, enemies that have the spikes on their on their bottom, mm-hmm. they can then just shoot right through the shoot right through the road. Like what a goddamn surprise. Um, creating completely new hazards. You didn't even know were there. Luckily you've got the wall jump so you can just resolve it. But like, I always thought that was really nifty. Um, also like beating bosses can have a negative impact on the environment around you. So, uh, killing those bees in the intro level is a really good example. You kill those bees, you're going down with that street. (laughs) Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and th- that gets, um, I think that gets echoed again in, uh, the, the octopus level where you can kill those big ships. Like the octopus level is kind of a joke cause it's just like boss after boss after boss. <laughs> um, and you have to know where to find them all because there are two of those snake bosses that you can fight yep. and there are two boats. Um, yeah. The depth charge, so- uh, boat. Yeah. Um, and, th- and then you fight the boss and then you yeah. fight the octopus. Yeah. Um, 
but uh, when you destroy one of those ships, it sinks and then it hits something and it it drags the entire level down. Yeah, and then you and, get to go uh, to Atlantis. It's great. Yeah, um, but- uh, it was. Yeah, it was just you know just some really really nice touches there. Mm-hmm. Whereas you know if it was just regular Ness, like you're just falling. Oh, last really important change that I'm not sure if you noticed. Okay, spikes. Don't kill you instantly, except for in Boomer's level, if you get crushed uh, when you're getting like pulled up. Right. I didn't know that, actually. Um, I never landed in spikes because I was that worried about it. Did die on Boomer's level one time, though. Just miscalculated something. But yeah. So it's, it's a nice change. Like, uh, hmm. This would be a really good baby's first Mega Man. <laughs> you know? Make me feel great. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, no, if you I'm wanted just, to introduce, no, I'm not trying to condescend to you. Oh, no, I'm just I'm saying, like, just, I'm in, being in terms of approachability, uh, like, if somebody wants to go back and see what's going on in NES uh, in the Nintendo Entertainment System, they can. Um, but I would say, if you want to introduce somebody to the Mega Man series, X might be a good place to start. I think it would be a fantastic place to start. It's also um, a relatively easy game. I didn't beat it, but I could see very easily how I would beat it. And I had to prove something to myself. So, of course, I booted up um, uh, Mega Man 1 and 2 and uh, was able to knock out all eight bosses. In, uh, well, I think it's six in Mega Man 1, but I was able to knock out all the bosses and uh, in the case of Mega Man 2, get through a majority of the Wily stuff. I still get nailed at the yellow demon or whatever in the in the first game uh, on Wily's level. But anyway, was able to burn through those games just no problem in like an hour um, with all the bosses and whatnot because it's just there, right? And so if you don't have that memory and you don't know all these weird archaic rules of the 8-bit era... It's going to be frustrating, and it's incredibly dated and doesn't hold up today. I think Mega Man X holds up as well as a 16-bit game can, and it's as fair as a 16-bit game can be. Yeah. So. Yeah, I can I can accept that. I mean, having owned both one and two of Mega Man as well. Um, what? Yeah. This is again. This is one of those games where, uh, and I think you laid this out pretty well. Um, Playing it in short bursts, but over an extended period of time, so like maybe an hour a day, right? If that's what you're free and you're able to do, you get that progression because these were designed to be iterative. You're, they were designed to teach you slowly over time and and to allow you to experiment because they, the original one looked like it would, the intent had been it was going to be an arcade game. That's why there was a score in it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but by the time they get to number two, they're just like, we don't need to do this. Right. And so by the time you finally get to X, right, they're, they're what, almost six games in. Um, They are six games in by this point. Um, And uh, yeah, there's just so many lessons learned and you're just watching them just do all these best practices from everything else, including the, uh, what's interesting is I don't like to pull too much on this, but there are two camps when it comes to Mega Man. Uh, One is uh, just regular Mega Buster is always the way to go. And the other is (laughs) you want to have a charge, right? And, and Jeremy Parrish was always an advocate stating that the mega buster, the charge blast ruined the game and made it too easy. Mm -hmm. But I I love it, man. I love being able to charge the charge. Yeah. The charge blast just ruined the soundtrack. It didn't ruin (laughs) 
the game. Yeah. It's just you always it's, hear the yeah. sound charging up. But yeah, because you go back and play Mega Man 2 and you're like, God, killing Wily in his second form as the dragon. It's just yeah, this endless. Is <laughs> this is not fun. Yeah. Uh, if I could charge up and just blast that dude, that'd be amazing. Um uh, well, and then yeah. they wouldn't have like there's some weapon in Mega Man 2 because Mega Man 2 was a game of weaknesses. There's some weapon you yeah. use where it takes down like a third of the life <laughs> with every shot. Like yeah. it's fantastic. Um but yeah. Yeah, I I don't know. I'm I'm I I'm of the opinion that you know what it's in there, enjoy it. Uh like I I've, I've always really enjoyed the ability to charge and what's interesting is this game is built on it. Right, this oh, game yeah. is built on being able to charge a weapon and fire it in different. Oftentimes, fashions. the third form, once you upgrade it, of the Mega Buster is the strongest bullet you can put in things. Um, so, did did you ever charge up uh, the chameleon weapon? Did you ever give that a go? Yes, I did. Okay, do you I know what it, it does? On the armadillo. So do you do you know what it does when you charge it? No. Uh, I mean, you start you- blinking. Um, yeah, it makes you invisible and invulnerable. So huh. enemies don't see you and you can't take damage. That so explains that, that, a lot. Yeah. Um, it's it's actually really, really fun. So like you won't run into enemies. Um, hmm. But you all like, I can't remember just because I didn't use it. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I almost never use it. Um, if you can fire while you're in that mode, I think if you fire you it, either drops it or you can't. Yeah, you cannot. Uh, you might be able to do a single fire. You can't charge. Um, what is it with, uh, I don't know. What is it with like chameleons or like lizards and like invisibility? I guess it's because they're the only creatures in actuality that can do it. But Yeah, it's the adaptive camouflage. I mean, uh, octopuses can do it too, almost in real time. Uh, oh, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. Um, but that octopus was too busy shooting torpedoes at you. <laughs> yeah, so. shit. When you first fight him, like with no it's special abilities or anything, yeah. and he just starts leaping at you as he's shooting torpedoes and fish at you, you're like, how am I going to beat this guy ever? And then, yeah, and then he's a breeze. I, I barely took any damage yeah, after a you while. Know, you, just, yeah, you just Learn do what you patterns. can. Um, All right, hey, let's, uh, let's, do you want to uh, shift into culture and uh, and sales and reception? Yeah, sure. So... Um, so this game was very well received in terms of like review scores. EGM did its classic four squares. Every single person gave it a nine. Um, Famitsu surprisingly enough, gave it a 26 out of 40. I have not read the translated, um, review of that, but that's actually kind of low for them. GamePro gave it a 4.75 out of five. IGN gave it a nine out of 10. Game players gave it a 95 out of a hundred. I don't believe diehard game fan or Nintendo power had scores, but they were, they, they couldn't shut up about it. Um, they said it was taking Japan by storm was the actual like phrases from game fan. But I think they said that about every Japanese game. Um, and Nintendo power, uh, you talked about this a little bit, but I forgot that like the, the mainstay like cover game, which this was on Nintendo power, they never reviewed it. They just like gave you like a strategy guide. <laughs> yeah, they'd give you maps and like secrets and stuff. Not I actually all of learned that too. It's surprising oh, yeah. what's hidden from it. Yeah. I learned about the Hadouken. I believe it was from an issue of Game Pro. Um and yeah, it, it wasn't it was, the January 94 one, but January 94 yeah. is where you'll find all this coverage. 
Um, yeah, and I, I remember it was a question of whether or not it was real because it was also the issue that had. Oh God, is this the same issue? I, I think, think it was, it was April an April 94. issue. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I now think it was an April that. issue that that also hinted at uh, Ken and Ryu's um, master oh, being playable. Yeah. Uh, being playable in uh, Super Turbo, so that it would was, show up in Pina Pakuma. That was and the Shenlong. Yeah. 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 So no, nobody was okay. sure if the Hadouken was actually real, but it was uh, because they thought it was all just April Fool's bullshit. And a lot of people had a lot of trouble doing that jump. Um, yeah, which one you get, Now that I think uh, about it, that might have actually, it might have been this one actually that was the Nimbus Terrafo one. With the uh, kickboxer in Mortal Kombat that would k- kick your head off, but yeah, I, I digress. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're yeah. talking about April, foolishness, but yeah. yeah, no, April Fools for for old uh, video game comics was amazing. <laughs> I, absolutely, I it's oh, oh my god. To this day, well, anyway, I digress. Uh, to this day, I was waiting for that Ocarina of Time remake that was real graphics, um, but. Uh, but yeah, so, and, and all of the ads starting in 93, uh, December 93, cause that was where I originally looked just to see like, well, would they do it that early? But if you remember like the January 94 issue was coming out in December. So it was like wetting your appetite before the game actually came out. And some people are saying like the game came out, the game basically hit stores in the first shipment after the new year. So the new year holiday goes and passes. And as early as January 2nd, um, Toys R Us's are cracking open boxes with Mega Man X in it. And, um, and, and, you know, there was a lot of, um, talk in the magazines. If you look of like, oh, this is a must buy, go get it. There are lines everywhere in Japan. People are loving it. This is going to be great. There's lots of ads telling you that this is a good idea to buy. And, um, and of course, uh, everyone's, uh, saying stuff like, oh, with your, uh, with your, your Christmas money, with your gift cards, like go use it on this. You ready for something that, oh, and uh, let's, let me real quick give you, I think I had, no, I don't have sales numbers. Um, But one of the other notable things to keep in mind is uh, this game's been uh, remade, uh, Maverick Hunters X on the PSP, and then um, it's had multiple collections for it. And of course it was part of the virtual console and it's on the SNES Classic. This by all metrics indicates a very popular game correct in theory but i'm still interested in sales yeah so i don't have the actual sales numbers so i'm just going to lead with that however what i do have is um a lot of information on like top selling game in japan top selling game in the united states top rental game in blockbuster and Mega Man x doesn't exist according to these lists it it doesn't show up but uh, like what's what's wild um is when you look at 19 so 1993 and 1994 are the golden years of sega and and super nintendo like there is just so much coming out and like i said sorry yeah i do have sales numbers sorry real quick like um, it, it was, yeah, it was so hard to find this fucking game. Like, even if yes. you wanted to buy it, we had to buy it used, which means our purchase would not show up on a chart. Good point. Um, it did move 1.16 million copies. That's actually very uh, notable, and it was the yeah, 41st best-selling Super Nintendo game of all time. Oh, there you go. Um, it was alone in January, and yet when you look at January's uh, sales, um, uh. Again, it's it's nowhere to be found. Uh, 
top selling on the Super NES is Mortal Kombat as well as Sega Genesis. No surprise there. Mortal Kombat still, like, it came out in September of 93, but, I mean, it's it's doing gangbusters. Um, on the rental front, uh, Disney's Aladdin was January's top SNES rental. Eternal Champions was Sega Genesis's. <laughs> Um, in case you're wondering about the Sega CD stuff, top sales was Ground Zero Texas. Top rental was Sonic CD. Here's what I want to just throw out there that we have to get past that even Capcom can't escape. Like they knew it, which was we are talking 1994, early 94. There is only one yep. genre that exists both in arcades and at home, and that is the fighting genre. This is fighting an old fight. This is... Um, even Mario stepped aside for this. <laughs> like, like there is there. Uh, Sonic, I guess, is releasing regular releases, but um, again, ultimately, what's moving sales is you know uh, you've got Street Fighter, you've got Street Fighter making tons of different editions coming out. Like you said, um, it would be a short period of time before um, Super Street Fighter Two comes out, and uh, that's going to hit in arcades. And then when it comes home, it's it's just massive. On top of that, yeah, you've got Mortal Kombat One and Two, as well as Super Street Fighter Two. And um, at the end of the previous year, you've got Street Fighter Two Special Champion Edition on the Genesis. Like there is just much too much competing with it. And then on top of that, um, there was even like, uh, I'm looking here on some of the blockbuster rentals, NBA Jam's doing gangbusters here. And so like, there's just a lot of arcade ports and fighting games and everything is very arcade centric this year that Mega yes. Man X is, is novel outside of that, but it's yeah. not in the grand scheme of what was hot on everyone's minds at that time. And what's interesting is Mega Man X actually debuts the same year as um, another major uh, and look like will shape the future of gaming um, genre is getting uh, really getting on its feet. So uh, 1994 is the year that Warcraft. Um, oh. So Blitz Warcraft. So the original real time right. uh, strategy game uh, from them. And again, uh, keep in mind, Command and Conquer is a thing. Uh, Dune 2 is a thing for for uh, real-time strategy fans. But that's happening. Also this year, uh, you're seeing Doom 2 getting released. Um, you're seeing... And again, th these are a bit further away, almost almost a year apart. But you're seeing, uh, in terms of fighters, you're seeing Darkstalkers get created. You're seeing King of Fighters get created this year. Mm -hmm. Sonic and Knuckles gets released later in the year. Um, a month after Mega Man X, it's... Uh, Sonic 3 comes out. Yep. You even got... Uh, I'm looking on the arcade stuff. Namco gets Ridge Racer, Daytona USA, so like racing games are still hitting hardcore. Um, somehow, Goku Joe Parodius is... Uh, Final Fantasy 6 comes out this like a yep. few months later. DKC, Donkey Kong Country. There's, there's just... Uh, Earthworm Jim comes yeah, out this year shiny in this like it's it's bananas uh pc gamers tie fighter uh masters of orion and masters of magic like all like they're oh and uh ufo uh what is it yeah. oh god um, xcom xcom comes yeah out this. but again when you like, look it at, is bananas yes oh no it is hands down bananas um but when you look at the charts there's just i mean i gotta tell you it's just all street fighter mortal Kombat, and nba jam like and that makes sense. That's 
that's what I was interested in that year. I also liked Lethal yeah, Enforcers, but I was the exception, not the rule. Yeah, more, is Mortal Kombat two out yet? Mortal Kombat At two this comes point, out. Or it's September. just regular Mortal. So okay. okay, yeah. Let me let me help put things into perspective. Ninety two. Oh, yes, I see it. Yeah, I fall ninety two is Mortal Kombat one on arcades, and then it's September ninety. Uh, no, July ninety two, ninety three is Mortal Kombat one on home consoles, and then Mortal Kombat two hits. I think that fall. And then that following yes, and so September is when purchase. it hits. Yeah, it hits consoles again. So, yep. I mean, look at this. Yeah, Blockbuster so it, it Video the... has like Ninja Turtles tournament fighters on its list. Like we were just hungry for fighters. God, I, okay. I, you know what? I will. I will die on it on that hill. Tournament <laughs> fighters, uh, especially on the Super Nintendo, is an incredible game that takes something some unexpected deep pulls from okay the oh it is good it is a good let me guess good is, it, is it like malibu oh. comics pulls like is it is it going to the the original like eastman and laird it's uh well no i mean there's an entire level dedicated to the neutrinos which you've huh. never seen before Dimension like X, why yeah. are they there um wingnut shows up which oh, was okay. like a secret yeah. toy that nobody nobody ever knew about yes. um you get Chrome Dome, uh, yeah. who was like a main bad guy from the cartoon. Uh, there's just uh, there's some really uh, wow. We are going off topic. Okay, so to deep cuts. Topic. Yeah, I like it yeah. though. Um, but it's it's and it's fun. Like it's it plays well. It looks good. Um, yeah, it, and it's like a late era fighter on uh, on the Super Nintendo. Anyway, but, but we're yeah. talking about Mega Man well, X. No, yeah, real quick, back to so let me just let's let's run down what's important, which is um, so here's the Babbage's you know month by month. So we'll go January through December. Remember, January is when Mega Man X comes out. January's top selling game is Mortal Kombat. February is Lufia, believe it or not. March yep. is NBA Jam. April Star Trek: The Next Generation. Um, Great game. Yeah, but May is Super Metroid. June is FIFA. July and August belong to Super Street Fighter 2. September, Mortal Kombat 2. October, yep. Final Fantasy 3 slash 6. And then November, Ooh. December, Donkey Kong Country. Makes perfect sense. Here's, okay. But here's the challenge. I'm sitting here saying that, um, that like an action platformer partial shooter like Mega Man X can't compete with these fighting games. And then here's Donkey Kong Country doing it. So yep. I, I guess I don't, understand or know and then when you look at blockbuster videos rentals it's mortal Kombat, and then all of spring and part of summer is nba jam then it's super street fighter 2 mortal Kombat 2 and donkey kong country so it's basically the same thing as the sales people were buying and selling the same games um but yeah it's, it's weird mega man x just doesn't appear and so what that tells me is it's a slow burn game right like it sold slowly throughout the entire year but then by year's end it moved over a million copies. Yeah. yeah. Which is kind of how Mega Man kind of sold. At least the first three. Like, they they were always hard to find. Mega Man 2, I don't remember getting it launch. I remember getting yeah. it later. And I remember trying to find Mega Man 1, and it was just impossible. Um, but... Um, I- yeah, we we eventually got Mega Man One. We found it used. Okay. Um, we we found number two. Um, and the, the issue was like, 
um, early Mega Man games, um, before the word really got out that they were decent, used to sit on the rack because of their boxes. Mm -hmm. Because nobody really understood what the fuck they were. (laughs) Yeah, Mega Man 3 did better, but Mega Man 1 and 2 are terrible box art. They really are. They look like bad... um, (laughs) The Europeans are going to kill me for this. But they look like bad epics like Commodore 64 box art. Like, they, they just do. Um, Mega Man looks. Mega Man 2's box art looks like Jumpman on the C64. Yeah, so the, the story for us getting Mega Man 2 was uh, we had a hardware store that also uh, sold video games. Like they just had nice. a glass case that had video games in it. And Mega Man 2 sat in that store for so long uh, <laughs> that like it was a pity purchase. It never went on sale. Here's the important thing. They didn't have to put Nintendo games on sale, I guess. Um, but like Mega Man two never moved. And so one day we're just like, okay, well, we're going to try this one. <laughs> and then we tried it and you never turned back because it's actually an incredible title. Mm-hmm. Um, and it made us want to figure out what number one was like. And then we ended up playing number three as a rental. And then we bought number four. Um, and then like y- you were hooked, right? Like that was oh, yeah. a series that you wanted to play, but yeah. Wow. That box art did them no favors. No. <laughs> No, it really didn't. Whereas, for contrast, Mega Man X, pretty Oh, they lean into the anime. Yeah, Yeah, they lean into the anime. Uh, They're just like, oh, yeah, we're Japanese guys. The guys, like, this is is who we are. Um, And they're better for it, right? Like, you represent what's actually in the game. And at that point, it's starting to actually look like that in the game anyway. Well, also, Mega Man is svelte. He's been working out. Um, he's on a low carb diet. Like he's, he's a little taller, good, so. a little skinnier, skinnier. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not just blocky. So, um, cool. Uh, anything else you wanted to touch on? I, you know, I don't think so. Like I said, it's, um, it's such a, it's such a great game, but like history, I just wanted to make sure to hit home that like history will prove that like everyone acted like everyone was running out to get Mega Man X, but I think we were more reading about it and, 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 you know, seeing screenshots of it, but I don't think a lot of people got Mega Man X when it first came out. I I think it was dominated by the, the fighters. That's what your friends came over for. But when your friends went home, you'd knock out some Mega Man. Right. And like that, that seems a little more indicative Um, because the, I guess the last thing I would say, and I'm curious your thoughts on this is Mega Man X does struggle a little bit in the grand scheme where if you didn't know the legacy of Mega Man at all, and I said, tell me what Mega Man X offers that is unique to the Super NES I'm going to have a hard time. Um, A lot of games are similar to Mega Man X. They don't do it as well as Mega Man X, but the premise is similar and they all came well before it. And I can see that being problematic as well. I think time has gone on to show the value of this game and why those that are nostalgic for it are very much nostalgic for it and for good reason. And like you said, I think it's a great starting point actually for Mega Man as a series, well more than the mainstay series. Um, But uh, I I do think it struggles at the time it comes out to distinguish itself, one, as a genre that's very popular in the market, and two, as a game itself that is very popular in the market. It does go on to sell well, but um, but yeah, yeah, I think it probably struggled when it first came out. So here's what I'm thinking, right? Like this, to me, the the start of the X series is sort of the, um, 
okay so like the early ness is like the cute adorable child like at first it's just loud and obnoxious and you don't want to deal with it but then <laughs> when it gets you know when it gets to a certain age so Mega Man 2 uh it starts making those sweet noises that you really enjoy and it has some <laughs> some very very great little um little aspects to it that are just fun to look at and engage with um by the time you're getting to Mega Man X, you're starting to get into the adolescence. Little lanky, trying to do what everybody else is doing, not really sure what's going on. And <laughs> yeah. it develops, right? So sure. in three, in two and three, you really start to see they're, they're starting to stride towards, um, like they're leaning into that series and trying to make it very different from, from just the regular Mega Man line, even from seven, which ends up on super Nintendo. Like you can see there are, they're Mega Man games, but they're very different. Um, and it's, it's nice. Um, but there's also a fatigue that's going on at this point, right? We're, we're at Mega Man six on the NES. We're at Mega Man seven on the super Nintendo. Like there is a long line of these games. There aren't that many street fighters yet, even though they're just different. <laughs> we are on our third one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but, I um, see your point. Yeah. And so like the, the fatigue is starting and they really push the limits uh, when they get to PlayStation and PlayStation two. Again, the PlayStation games are novel, excuse me and enjoyable but what you get it there's some tomfoolery that happens in the playstation 2 games that i just don't even want to talk about (laughs) um like they just go in a direction that i'm like why just use 2d sprites please god um anyway uh yeah i just i like i i really like what's going on but um you're right. There, there is an experience that is being produced by this game that that can be that's better somewhere else. Uh, the Metroidvania oh, aspect. The other way. Um, I think it's there are experiences that are similar to this game, but I think it does it better than most. Okay, but well, in which case I w- I would say uh, elaborate because I would say the the Metroidvania itch gets gets absolutely demolished by Super Metroid a couple of months later. Fair. Um, the the Mega Man itch, like this is the first time you're going to get a 16-bit Mega Man, and it is incredibly good. Um, but in terms of platformers, there are some other very great fast-moving platformers already on the Super Nintendo. Um, they just don't have guns. That's all that ma- I'm serious. That that matters. Is as, just having the shooty black Yeah, yeah Capcom. Yeah. Sorry, Contra Three was not what I wanted it to be. Um. I know a lot of people love that game, but not me. Okay. I, I, I like mean, that's game. good. I and, don't love it. And again, um, like I, I love Mega Man X, so I'm not, I'm not trying to shit on it, but I'm like saying like in terms of speed, in terms of mobility, in terms of platforming, I would argue that Super Mario World, when if, if we're oh, talking about sure. platformer, it is, it is actually a better and longer game. Yeah, but that's taking on the crown. Like I, I just mean that like at its, at its core, um, you know what? It's the balanced fighter, right? It's the uh, it's it's the fighter in the Final Fantasy games. Like everything's just at an eight. It, like it does eight out of ten on everything. Like it's we'll take it. yeah. yeah. I mean, other magazines thought it was nine out of ten on everything, but I again, <laughs> to me, it's eight out of ten. Um, but but yeah. So like I said, it's influential. If you've never played this game and you like Mega Man games or you want to check this out, or maybe if you've never played Mega Man games, let this be your first time in there. Um, and I say do it without a guide. And then when you get frustrated, go look up a guide. 
because we've already ruined some of the weaknesses. Yeah, so. that's true. <laughs> so we've given you all you need, but uh, um, all right. Well, yeah, that's about it for for me. Um, is I, I don't know. I think we've done it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the thing about Mega Man games is it's it's a great pool to dive in, but it's not too deep. <laughs> sure. <laughs> right. Sure. I'll give you that. There's, yeah, it's a long pool. There, it stretches for a while, but you can only dive so deep. Yeah, uh, that's true. Yeah. yeah, I'll give it that. So, um, all right. Well, Chase, I want to thank you for uh, joining me again and uh, delving into this wonderful world. We're going to actually give the SNES a break for quite some time here on uh, on the show. But uh, but I want to thank you for uh, coming back to talk to me about Mega Man X. It was I was pleased that I got to enjoy it, and it reminded me that the old man's reflexes uh, need to need some tinkering. Um, I had to. Uh, spend, you know, a greater portion of the two weeks that we played this game, um, you know, just building daily skills, which is something I haven't done in a while. And it actually makes me eager to do it again for more retro games. So, um, but yeah, thank you for joining and and talking about this. Uh, and, um, yeah, uh, with that, I I think we'll, we'll call it to a close unless you have any closing thoughts. I just wanted to say thank you for having me. I always appreciate coming on your shows, Fred. We could talk forever if we let ourselves. Heck yeah. And so I want to thank you as well. And uh, with that, we will uh, put it to a close until next time. again friends fred rojas here and for today's technical focus i actually have a request from ali from 42 level one and he says to me so fred can you explain the difference between the master system and the game gear i've heard that they're very similar and i'm just curious from a technical perspective how they differ so that's a really good question i actually know quite a bit about this but i decided to dig even deeper into the components and so what we're going to get is a relatively high level uh, view as to how these two are similar because uh, they are incredibly similar, but also kind of the predecessor and where all of this architecture comes from and also some of the basic components that make this up. Now, I will warn you, there's going to be a little bit of math here, but if you will bear with me, we're going to walk this path together and you might come in here knowing nothing about how tech specs on a console works and walk out 15, hopefully minutes later, having a pretty good perspective. So so with that, let's uh, kick off the discussion on the Sega Master System. Uh, this was, of course, manufactured by Sega, and it came out in October of 1985. And if that time period strikes a chord with you, you should know that in North America, the Sega Master System actually kind of comes to fruition right about the same time as the NES. Um, Whereas this is like two years after the Famicom, which is the Japanese counterpart of the NES, comes out in uh, Japan. But that's why it's so interesting from an American standpoint where you've got Sega bringing out this console at basically the same time as the NES. But the NES takes off 
and the master system doesn't. Now, there's several reasons behind that, but I'm not going to get into that today. We will just start off by saying it was mostly due to licensing practices by Nintendo. I've done a GH101 episode about it, so if you want to look back in the archives, you can hear that. Otherwise, um, you know, we can tackle it at a different time. But what is fascinating about the Master System is it was categorically stronger than the NES for so, so many reasons. And this isn't like a a matter of perspective or opinion. No, no, no. This was a stronger system capable of making much better graphics and also sound, for that matter, um, than the NES. So it's technically superior. But like we see most times in the market, that does not mean you dominate. Right. Uh, in fact, having uh, stronger hardware, especially because it often has a higher, more premium price point, actually puts you at a disadvantage when you're hitting with the mainstream. Best example out there is the one that also rides gangbusters over every record out there, the PlayStation 2. It is technically inferior to the GameCube and the Xbox in many different ways. And yet it was easily the best selling console of, I believe, all time. So anyway, without further ado... Here's the Sega Master System. So it's based loosely, uh, the Sega Master System is the Sega Mark III or the SG-1000 Mark III, which is a more classic style console from the early 80s that they had out there. And essentially the hardware is the same, but it has been modified and has its specs tweaked in such a way that it becomes a full viable console. Now, I don't have a whole lot of information on the SG-1000 or I believe the SG-2000 or the SG-1000 Mark II, which are the Japanese counterparts of kind of the progression of the Master System. So for the purposes of this demonstration here, today's information, I'm just going to focus on the Mark III or the Sega Master System. Um, It is running a NEC 780C, which is basically the Zilog Z80 or Z80 chip that is very famous for lots of microcomputers. Uh, This is a a very popular chip, just like so many of the others, such as the the, the Z80 chip, as well as the uh, Motorola 68000, are like some of the most popular gaming chips out there. And so uh, it basically runs this Z80, but of course, remember, it's an NEC 780C chip at a uh, clock rate of 3.579 megahertz in uh, North America. It's slightly underclocked in PAL. Um, That's probably due to the lower frame rate. Um, But one of the most interesting things about it is that it directly addresses program RAM and ROM. So that basically means that it can use the ROM cart directly from the cartridge and then utilize RAM for more useful items such as interrupts or uh, basically the status of the system. And from what I understand, and I have to tell you, I am not a machine language guru, nor am I particularly Um, good at integrated circuits and motherboards that make up consoles. But from what I understand, that just gives you more flexibility because you can pull the original code and almost like, think about it as like when we stream content directly from a disc. So you can use system resources for other things. Um, And I do know that this like, hints at a lot of the information that was going on with uh, what John Carmack was doing with early 3D shooters. Like the whole trick behind Wolfenstein, Doom, and eventually Quake 
was that it would kind of pre-do the math, but it wouldn't actually render the visuals until it needed to. Um, so this is the same kind of concept where it could basically stream everything straight off the cartridge and therefore utilize its um, resources to other areas for other effects. Um, but behind the, the CPU, it, there, there are more things going on. So, of course, you have the GPU, which was a custom Sega VDP. It was um, known as the Sega 315-5124. However, the more notable revision is when it eventually becomes the Yamaha YM2602, which is the eventual chip that becomes the visual processor for the Mark III or the Master System. Now, this chip is significant because it is, the YM2602 is the sound chip for the Sega Genesis or Mega Drive, and this is why it's backward compatible, because basically the video processor of one console becomes the... Um, uh, the audio processor of another, and it can just reutilize that in order to uh, basically make backward compatibility possible. Um, another significant thing you should know about this console is that it, much like the PC Engine, is actually a hybrid 8-bit, 16-bit console. It is capable of low and I guess I would say, 16-bit processes and 16-bit visuals. Now, the reason why the Master System pales in comparison to the uh, PC Engine is, without getting too technical, is that it's just, the PC Engine is just much stronger. And so, the PC Engine is literally saying, we're going to look like an arcade console, but behind the scenes, the computations are still the classic 8-bit uh, computations, which is actually pretty smart and probably ex uh, explains why the PC Engine was so popular, beating the Master or the, the Mega Drive. When the Mega Drive comes out in Japan, the PC Engine is already out. It blitzes right past it and continues to be the number one console. The Mega Drive is actually in third place out of the three manufacturers at the time, which is the NES, fan, uh, the sorry, the Nintendo Famicom, the uh, NEC PC Engine, and of course the uh, Sega Ma uh, Mega Drive. Uh, anyway, circling back to the Master System, um, so under the hood, it is just categorically much stronger than the chip that is running, uh, I think it's the 6502 processor, the NEC 6502 that's running the Famicom or the NES. Um, and so that's why you get a lot of different things that it is capable of, because it can, I guess, lean on those. And so to give you a feel for uh, kind of the resolution, some things that you're used to seeing, um, it was capable of a standard resolution of 256 by 192. It was also capable of a 256 by 224, but a majority of, I guess I would say, um, games do not utilize this resolution. And just for reference, your average visual suite of what a 240p image or a... Uh, a scan-lined image on a, a television in the late 80s is doing, it's 320 by 240. So, but again, there's a lot of, there's a lot of overscan area that's like cropped out. And so it fills a majority of the screen. Now 256 is the uh, slightly narrower width of like the SNES. And, um, and then 192, that is where you will start to notice that, uh, especially from a uh, vertical standpoint, that uh, there is some extra data there. But again, in a, I think it's 224 is usually what's taken up. And so there's not a whole lot of screen space that is wasted. And you probably don't even notice it because they just overscan it. Um, or they just like bleed it out. Uh, 
Uh, it did run at a refresh rate, pretty standard of uh, 59.9 or 60 frames a second in NTSC, and then 49.7 or 50 frames a second in PAL. That is very standard. And of course, it achieves this in one of two ways. On a standard television using Compositor RF, which is composites your red, white, and yellows, and RF is the probably most common at this time, the screw-on coaxial connection, you're going to get um, uh, the 240p, but it's, it's going... Um, uh, evens and odds and so it runs at 60 frames a second but it's blinking back and forth so it's really displaying at 30 frames a second you can of course increase the smoothness and also standardize it by using the higher bandwidth of rgb scart component and uh, those will uh, display at 240p where you get a standard 240 line display with uh, the other 240 lines being blacked out and it runs at uh, 60 frames a second. Uh, it's a bandwidth issue. That's the only reason why it may or may not do it. Um, colors, and this will be important. It is capable of 32 simultaneous colors, 16 for the sprites, 16 for the backgrounds. You have to understand that when you're making an image on these old 8-bit consoles, uh, you really have like a background, possibly some layers, but there aren't many of them. That's why Super Mario Brothers 3 is such a big deal when he ducks down and hides behind. There are two layers of background, guys. Um, and, uh, and then it can, so it, it, it works off of 16 colors for the sprites, 16 for the backgrounds, available color palette of 64 colors. Uh, it should be noted, I believe that NES was only capable of, I think, 16 simultaneous colors on the screen at once. And that may have not even been the case um, at all times. Um, but yeah, so it can pick from a palette of 60, 64 colors and um, 16 colors per pixel tile sprite. Um, it also has various graphical modes. So there's modes one and two, which is a pretty standard um, two colors per tile, eight bytes per tile. Sprites could get uh, 32 to 64 sprites. Um, and basically your sprites could be eight by eight or 16 by 16. Um, it could do some zoom pixel sizes, so it could blow them up and that's where you could get 16 by 16 or 32 by 32. But probably the most interesting is their mode four. So again, I know mode seven was only really a buzzword with the SNES, but believe it or not, the master system had mode four. And mode four was uh, basically eight by eight pixel characters and then 16 colors per tile, maximum of 488 unique characters slash titles on the screen. This was due to the VRAM limitation. And there was horizontal and vertical background tile flipping. Um, basically, mode four was utilized mostly for scrolling. That was the big deal, was to be able to, right, this was very notorious with the NES and Super Mario Brothers where he runs to the right and it just smoothly scrolls. Like, that was so hard to do. And all of our European friends who use microcomputers will tell you just how difficult smooth scrolling is and why it's such a big deal that the Master System and, of course, before it, the Famicom or NES was capable of doing it. Um, but it did allow for horizontal, vertical, and diagonal scrolling um, and partial screen scrolling. So it had a lot of stuff it could do with that. It could do interrupts per frame, per scan line, uh, mid-frame palette swaps, transparency effects, partial screen scrolling. So lots of interesting things that actually give a hint of like early parallax. Now, if you're not familiar with what parallax is, it means that multiple parts of the background are moving independently. And again, this will be a massive part of Sega's arcade library in the Sega 16 
era, which is like the late 80s. And of course, it is notoriously like one of the most impressive things that the, the Mega Drive Genesis does until the Super NES comes out to basically blow it away from a hardware perspective. But keep in mind that the NES had, you know, <laughs> over a year on the Mega Drive. So they got to see what Sega did and then make it better. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is essentially what goes into the visual portion of um, the the Master System. And then, of course, is the audio chip. So it used a Sega PSG chip, um, which did four-channel mono sound. But one of the biggest things it can do is it can also do um, FM synth. And so FM synthesis uh, audio tracks are notable and present in... Um, a handful of different games, such as uh, Fantasy Star is one of them. I believe Zillion's another, and there's plenty of others. But um, FM synth uh, um, games just sound incredible. And, uh, you know, again, there wasn't anything too, too special about, in my opinion, about Master System games from an audio perspective against NES games, and especially since the NES Famicom continues to see development Outside of like Brazil and parts of Europe, it really doesn't see a whole lot of development beyond um, like, you know, the Mega Drive's release. Like 1990, 91 is really where it cuts off. Um, but there's a reason for that, and I'll get to it in just a moment. But again, um, there's nothing too spectacular differentiating it. But when those FM synth tracks comes in, it's just amazing. Um also of note, and this is of note because we're about to go into the Game Gear, there was no start button on the controllers in the Sega Master System. <laughs> so if you wanted to press pause or start, you had to press it on the console. And this becomes an interesting problem when it comes to porting Game Gear games to the Master System because of their similar hardware. And this also becomes a problem when it comes to uh, if you want to put these games onto... Um, other or well i wouldn't say it becomes a problem it becomes an interesting facet when you want to backport like say a game gear game onto the master system now again you just use the start button on the console but with emulation and whatnot this does become a little bit more of a problem i'm not going to delve into emulation today though um so now it wasn't like sega just came up with this idea on their own there is actually a uh, microcomputer that has a very similar hardware spec. So let me just toss this out here. Uh, so there was a microcomputer that came out that had a Zilog Z80A, Z80A running at 3.58 megahertz. Hmm, sound familiar? Um, it had 32 KB ROM, which it should be noted, that's 32 kilobyte, uh, but it was expandable up to 512. And the reason I bring that up is the, mass, uh, the maximum cart size for the master system was four megabits, or half of a megabyte, or 512 KB kilobytes. Um, there were the little cards for the Master System, kind of like the uh, PC Engine ones, but they were or Turbo Graphics cards, but they were much smaller. They were only capable of 256 kilobits, or 32 kilobytes, and so that's why the cartridges became a much more commonplace. Uh, area for games more, more expensive the games were definitely more expensive but that was because they were more complex and larger due to their memory um, and then check this out video display processor it was a texas instrument tms 9918 but it had a resolution of 256 by 192 with 16 colors uh 
So if you're if you're wondering what this microcomputer is, it is the Microsoft microcomputer, the MSX. Yes, MSX standing for oh, let me look it up. Uh, oh, I don't know what it stood for, uh, but it was uh, it was Microsoft's actually largely Japan only uh, microcomputer, and it came out in 1983. But it basically has uh, very similar specs, although, of course, it's expandable. It gets an MSX2 and various other things. So it has, uh, but its base, original um, uh, hardware specs are basically that which goes into the master system. But, of course, when that comes out, it's so much later that these components are cheaper, and that's why it pales in comparison. And it's not like you're going to run, like, Metal Gear on them anytime soon. But you will see a lot of interesting, like fan ports like i remember like a bunch of msx games randomly like within the last 10 years got ported over to the master system and i always thought that was interesting and the reason why is because they basically have the same hardware spec so moving on does that mean that when sega discontinued the master system uh that like all those developers and all that hard work just kind of went away heck no um let's see when is the last time that the master system goes away uh, i'm trying to see eh, i don't really see it for sure um but it, it yeah nobody's saying for sure but let's just say that in the early 90s the master system goes away from a north american standpoint though and Japan standpoint, that doesn't matter because what comes up right behind it is Sega's portable console to take on the Game Boy, uh, but it has a color screen and much more hardware behind the under the hood. And of course, you know this story already. Of course, it's less popular. It also drinks batteries. If you ever have a Game Gear, get yourself a Sega. Um, oh, I forgot the name of the power supply, but it's the same one that that drives the uh, 32X and the uh, Genesis 2. Uh, get yourself that power supply so you can play it like. Like up against a wall at home because it it goes through I think it's eight double A's sorry six double A's that you have to put into it to power it up and it goes through those in a, man, a handful of hours um, but it is the Sega Game Gear now uh, as Ali asked what are the difference between the Sega Game Gear and the Sega Master System and the answer is nothing really uh, there is one exception or well two so the two biggest things is that one. It's capable of much more colors. Remember, 64 total colors. The Game Gear is capable of 4,096 colors. So a much wider um, palette. Um, I almost want to say that's 16-bit color palette, but I could be wrong. Um, and it's capable of 32 simultaneous colors on the screen, which, going back to the Master System, I do believe it was capable of that. Um... Let's see here. Colors, colors, colors. Uh, it was capable of 32 simultaneous colors. So that matches. So the biggest difference was, again, it had a much wider color palette, which means that if you tried to backport a Game Gear game to the Master System, you would have issues where it's calling for colors that don't exist on the Master System's palette. Um, but we'll get to that in a minute. But it still uses the Zilog Z80 processor at 3.57 or 3.58 megahertz, technically. Um, and it has a resolution of 160 by 144. So that is markedly smaller than the SMS's, uh, the Master System's 256 by 192. So essentially, the Master System just lived on in Japan and North America as um, the Game Gear. 
And in Europe, it kind of, I, I, from my understanding, it, it coexisted, right? There were a bunch of Master System releases and a bunch of Game Gear releases. And the reason you see so many of these and the reason so many Game Gear games can be backported, like if you get like a game, uh, like I have a Master System flash cart, and if you look for it, you will find that most Game Gear games are available in a Master System version because they were released largely in Europe as Master System games. The reason behind that is that Sega would develop them for the Master System first with the limited color palette and then just port them over to the Game Gear where they worked just fine, but the extra colors were essentially quote-unquote wasted on the Game Gear. And of course, you can look it up. Uh, Retro RGB has a great article, and then of course, you Wikipedia fans can go look there uh, for the Game Gear games that actually utilize this wider color palette and therefore are incompatible and don't have a Master System port. However, and thank you RetroRGB again, Bob comes through, there is a way to modify this. There is a patcher. Um, it is, uh, he's got it on here, but uh, it's at smspower.org, and it is basically, you take a Game Gear game, you rename it, uh, this is for both flashcards and for emulators, you rename it from .gg, which is the Game Gear um, uh uh, file type to .sms, which is the master system file type. Then you use Lunar IPS to IPS patch this universal patch to any uh, ma- uh, Game Gear game, and it will basically make it compatible with the master system. It it basically converts all those different colors down to just the simple 32 or 64 color palette. What it also does is it widens basically the real estate on the screen for uh, the SMS resolution of 256 by 192. And therefore, um, games like Sonic, which Bob uses in his post, you see much more of the screen because it's rendering all that area. It's just not displaying all of it due to the lighter display screen of the Game Gear. So what this all means in closing is that if you don't have a Game Gear and you would prefer to play these on big screens, which why wouldn't you, uh, you can basically play most Game Gear games in their SMS counterpart, and for the handful of exclusives, you can patch them with this patcher. So if you want to check those out, just go to um, retrorgb.com forward slash Game Gear on Genesis.html. That's all lowercase, no spaces, and of course you could Google it if you want to find it. But Ali, I just spent, let's see what we're at. I just spent 23 minutes for something I can wrap up in 23 seconds. What is the difference between the Game Gear and the Master System? Other than the larger color palette and the slightly smaller resolution? Nothing. And what is the difference between the MSX and the Master System? Essentially nothing. Which goes to show you that what basically has happened with consoles was that they were able to take a microcomputer from 1983 and stretch its life out to the mid-90s, all because of clever developers making very addictive games. And God, if that isn't what I absolutely love about video games. So with that, if you have a hardware request you'd like to have, it's contact at GamingHistory101.com or hit me up on Twitter at SpidersVenom. That's S-P-Y-D-E-R-S-V-E-N-O-M. And until next time, I will be back for another fun technical topic uh, next episode of uh, Retroactive.
And with that, we wrap up the third episode of Retroactive on Mega Man X. Hope you enjoyed it. So now we have new ventures as we turn the podcast over to weekly. We start having more solo adventures. I'm hoping to get lots of encouragement and also feedback from the community. So please keep those communications coming. And of course... You and I will be exploring a vast sea of video games that have existed and came out while I was playing games and I just never got a chance to enjoy them. But as we bid adieu to 21XX, we turn our focus skyward into the stars where there is a massive set of, shall we say, Star Wars happening and one lone Jedi gets to tell his story from his first series of missions until finally taking on the Padawan Anakin Skywalker. That's right, I'm talking about the 2001 Xbox exclusive, Obi-Wan. Next time on Retroactive.